Hey, as you uh, take a seat, tell the person on your left, this is who I wanted to be like when I grew up. When you were a kid, who did you want to be like? Go ahead and tell the person on your left. All right, all right, now tell the person on your right, I'm glad that you're you and not them. Man, some of y'all enjoyed that a little too much. Hey, the reality is, though, uh, many of us grew up wanting to be like somebody, anybody else. I think we just all agree that we all had somebody we looked up to. We're like, man, if I could just be like that person. And maybe they were a sports figure. Maybe they were somebody in your family or somebody in your hometown. Uh, My one guy as I grew up as a little tyke in a small town that was really focused on sports was Coy Lindsey. Now, you don't know Coy Lindsey, but I know Coy Lindsey, man. He was uh, Steph Curry before, before Steph Curry. Uh, he was an amazing basketball player, a guy who I looked up to and said, man, there's someday I just want to be like Coy instead of be like Mike. I want to be like Coy. And, and thankfully, his mother was actually my babysitter, so I didn't just get to watch him from a distance. I got to dwell in his own home. And I got to see him work out. I got to see him study. I got to see him at my, our youth group because he went to our church. And so I always looked up to Coy Lindsay for lots of different reasons. And I wanted to be like him. I just wanted to be around him. And there was times where he would say, hey, Derek, why don't we go outside and shoot baskets? And my knees would start to shake and I'd get the basketball and I would pray, Lord, just let me hit the rim. Like, I just don't want to hit an air ball. Just let me hit the rim because I'm in the presence of the guy who I want to be like. And then there's those few occasions where some of his friends would be over, all the guys I would look up to, and they'd be out playing basketball on their court in the backyard, and they'd be playing a real game, real game, and they'd say, hey, Derek, uh, will you be on my team? And talk about a dream come true, that I would get to be on the same team as Coy. And so I always look up to Coy. I wanted to be like Coy, so I modeled my game after him. I prepared for basketball like he did. I wanted to be just like Coy, and in a sense, I was almost like Coy's disciple, Because I was wanting and wanting to be more and more like Koi. I modeled my life as a young little kid after Koi. And that's really what a disciple is. This is what a disciple is. It's someone who is in the process of becoming more and more like someone. For a disciple of Jesus, we are learning to become more and more like Jesus in how we think, talk, and act. Now, now Dallas Willard, he gives us this definition of a disciple, and and I think it's a beautiful definition. He's a great philosopher. He's passed away, but a brilliant writer, a brilliant lover of Jesus. He says this, a disciple or an apprentice is is simply someone who has decided to be with another person under appropriate conditions in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become what that person is. So as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I want to learn what did Jesus say? What did he do? How did he act? How did he interact with the world around him? Not so I can just repeat what Jesus did, but my hope is as a disciple, I can live my life as if Jesus were living my life. That's the hope of a disciple is I'm being conformed more and more into the image of Jesus. So when I live out my life, I'm living it as if Jesus were living, if he was living my life. Now, now the scripture is full of discussion around disciples and disciple making. It's throughout the New Testament, and, and Jesus had a lot of things to say about it. And at the very end of his life, he gathers his disciples, 
and he tells them something. And, and most of us are very familiar with this. This is in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We're going to have it on the screen. Jesus gives them uh, kind of a last word before he goes to ascend to the Father where he dwells today. He says this. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go. Everybody just say go. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, now Jesus was speaking to his disciples, but, but you and I both know that if I have followed Jesus, if I have said, Jesus, will you save me from my sins? If I've come under his lordship, you and I are also disciples. And so what he told the disciples here at this moment, which was more than just the 12, by the way, this, this commendation, this exhortation to go is the same thing that he's given us. Now, now, what is exciting is this is a mission, but it's not just a mission. It's a commission. Now, everybody say commission. See, a commission means we're not going alone. And everybody said amen. Because if I had to carry this mission out, man, I would struggle to get to point A. But, but he says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so he's given us a mission, but he says, you're not going to be on your own. It's going to be a commission. You're going to co-labor with me to go into the nation to be part of my redeeming work in this world. So Jesus tells his disciples, this is what it looks like. And so I think we, we have to realize that when Jesus is saying this, this is at the core what Jesus is telling these guys. Hey, hey, for the last three and a half years, I've spent with you. I've been with you. I've taught you. I've showed you what it looks like to be a disciple. So three and a half years, I've, I've fed into you. I've, I've told you. I've showed you. And so now all I'm asking you to do, disciples, is to go and reproduce what I showed you to do. That's the Great Commission. I've showed you, I've taught you, I've demonstrated it, and now what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm releasing you, I'm empowering you. You go do what I've been doing. That's what Jesus said he, we are to do as his disciples. And the question is, is, how do we do that? And there's books and books written about this. There's sermons and sermons written about discipleship and what it looks like. And today, I just want to give us kind of a macro um, perspective uh, of what it looked like for Jesus to make disciples, because he was the first disciple maker, right? Uh, his disciples were told to go make disciples, but they were made by Jesus himself. And so we need to look at Jesus. How did he make the disciples? And I think there's three buckets that we fall into today. Number one, he, he showed them. Number two, he shared with them. And number three, he sent them. These are kind of the macro level of what is discipleship. If you're like asking today, what, what does that mean, Derek? These are the three buckets that I think have to be part of me becoming a disciple of Jesus, becoming more and more like him. And so this, this show, this first one, it's proclamation and demonstration. When Jesus was with his disciples, when he called them from their normal everyday job, he, he first started out by, by teaching them. He, he engaged their intellect. And we see this throughout Mark, the book that we're reading through. Uh, Mark 1.14, Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God. Mark 1.39, he came preaching. Mark 2.19, he taught about fasting. Mark 2.23, he taught about the Sabbath. Uh, Mark 4, he taught by the sea. So we see Jesus, he engages in this intellectual conversation, this teaching with his words. And this is the first way that he began to make disciples. He was engaged them with their minds. 
He would teach them with his words, but Jesus didn't stop by showing them just with his words. He also demonstrated what it looked like to be part of the kingdom. He didn't just say, hey, this is what it looks like hypothetically. He actually said, hey, this is what it looks like hypothetically, but now I'm gonna actually demonstrate to you what it looks like to be part of the kingdom, to come under the kingship of God, the king. And and we know that in Mark, we've seen this consistently as we've gotten to this point today. Mark 1.25, Jesus demonstrates the kingdom by casting out demons. He heals the sick and the leper in Mark 1.41. He heals the paralytic like we talked about a few months ago, Mark 2.11. The man with a withered hand, he healed it, Mark 3, 1 through 6. He healed many and cast out many demons, Mark 3.10. He heals a man with a demon. He heals a woman with an issue of blood, Mark 5.29. And to cap it all off before we get to today, he raised a girl from the dead, Mark 5.41. All of which are part of Jesus training up these disciples to hear the truth of the kingdom, but also to engage and see the truth of the kingdom. He proclaimed and he demonstrated. These are both essential for making disciples. And Jesus knew this because he was a great leader. He understood how we're wired because he wired us, amen? And so he shows us, first of all, if you're gonna make disciples, you gotta show them intellectually engaged, but they also gotta experience. And so you show them. Number two, you've gotta share with them. Now, Jesus could have gone and done a lot of things on his own, and he did. We just talked about a lot of them. But the beauty, if you look at the Gospels, is Jesus made this transition from just demonstrating and teaching to then he began to incorporate his disciples to do things with him. He began to share with them the ministry that he came to to ordain. And he began to do it shoulder to shoulder. And we see this, if you've got your Bible, open up to Mark chapter five. We're gonna be in Mark chapter six in a moment today. But leading up to this point, we're talking about Jesus shared with them as part of the disciple making process. Mark 5.35 is the story of um, a, a girl who uh, is really sick and about to die. And her father comes and asks that, he, that Jesus would heal the girl. And it says in uh, verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came to the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Now that's never good news if you're a father. He says, why trouble the teacher any further? Because they're saying, well, it's already over. Like she's dead. There's nothing that can be done. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Now those letters in red could preach all day long. Do, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him, but, but except, look at this, Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And so what is Jesus doing? He's pulling in as he's making disciples. Hey, Peter, James, and John, you guys come with me. I'm gonna share this ministry with you. You've watched me do it. You've heard me do it. Now you guys come in kind of the inner place and you go with me. And so what we read about is these three, they get to the house of this girl and everybody's sad. And Jesus said, what are you sad about? The girl's only sleeping. They laugh. And he says, no, you guys get out of there. But you three, the ones that I'm making disciples, you guys come with me. And they entered into the room and, and, and Jesus raises this girl up from the dead. See, see Jesus, shoulder to shoulder, Sharon, you see, discipleship in the scriptures is you cannot do it apart from presence. There's no way you can read the Bible and say, I can be a disciple of Jesus Christ apart from being in the presence of Jesus Christ. Or or I can't be a disciple of a man or a woman who's more mature in, in their faith than me apart from me being with that person. Discipleship at its core is doing life and ministry together. And Jesus, he taught them, he showed them, but he also said, hey, do it with me. So he showed them, and then he shared with them. And then the last piece of discipleship, which 
honestly, at the American church, we, we honestly just miss this oftentimes. It's, it's, it's the hard part of being sent. It's that raise and release mentality that Jesus has in mind every time a believer comes to faith. Is he's going to raise them up by showing them, by sharing them, and then he's going to release them by sending them out into the world. See, see, that's what we're called to do if we're disciples of Jesus Christ. It's to grow, to become more and more like, but at some point we are called to go, to be sent. And that's what we're going to see today in Mark chapter 6. This is the main text today. If you have your Bible, it's also going to be on the screen. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 7. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and appointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Uh, now, I apologize. I'm gonna be a little sweaty today. I'm battling the flu, and so I'm not going Pentecostal on y'all. Um, <laughs> but I, I might get in the spirit here in a moment. Uh, so that's why I've got the vest. I don't know if I'm gonna have chills or if I'm gonna be sweating, so I'm gonna go back and forth here today. But we see the first thing in, in your notes is, is what can we learn about Jesus sending out the 12 that's applicable to us Today, That's what we want to look at. What can I learn? What can I grow in awareness that I can take from these 12 being sent by Jesus, the same Jesus that I follow when he sends out these 12? What can I learn? And number one in your listening, God, is Jesus gives authority to his disciples. Jesus gives authority to his disciples. Now, now I don't know about you, um, but when I was 15 years old, there was only one thing on my mind. And that was turning 16 and getting my license. Anybody else remember that? Like nowadays, it's like kids are like 18 years old and they haven't even got their permit. Like I don't get that. Like at 16 years old, in one second, I was down at the BMV, DMV, and I was getting my license. And, and, and what takes place to get a license? You really actually follow this same discipleship method, right? What do you have to go? You have to go sit in a classroom, which is so boring, but you have to go and you got to listen. And they engage your intellect. They show you, Right? They also want you to see other people driving. So they show you videos of people driving and how to respond. You are supposed to be in the car and watch your father, who hopefully is a good driver. Watch how he responds. Watch how he works. Watch how he puts both hands on the wheel. Right, dads? That's how we drive. No cell phones, all that good stuff. So we're supposed to see it. And then that beautiful day comes when you turn 15 and a half and you get the driver's permit. Oh, glorious day for the son. Terrible day for the parents. And what is that? that? That's the part of sharing, right? Now I am asked to enter into with my parents and God help them. You know, they have that break, that's imaginary break on their side. And I'm driving, um, and I'm driving with the instructor. I remember one time the instructor I had in Columbus, um, he, he had me turn down a one-way road, literally. And I was like, what do I do? And so I had to just on the fly make some adjustments. But, but literally, my guy told me to turn on the one-lane road. It was terrible. So be careful maybe who you're following as a disciple. That's maybe the, the moral of that. But, but as I'm sharing and as I'm learning, I'm shoulder to shoulder with my parent or the adult and I'm learning what I'm supposed to do. And then that glorious day comes where I turn 16 and I get my license and I come to my parents and I ask them, mom and dad, can I have the keys? 
and, and the fear of God comes over our parents. And they look at us and they pray to God and they pray that we would just do nothing that's completely idiotic. And when they hand those keys over to us, what is that representing? It, it represents responsibility. I now am giving you the keys to my car. It's, remember, I'm paying the bills. I'm paying everything on it. And if you wreck this, I'm going to have to pay for it. So I'm giving you responsibility. I'm giving you authority. I'm giving you freedom. These keys represent this. And, and you know what? The one thing that I think these keys represent when we give them to a 16-year-old, besides faith, <laughs> it, it, is trust. God, God, I trust that this person who I've raised and who I've sacrificed for is not gonna run off the road, that they're not gonna be texting. And God, I also, I trust this person. They're gonna continue to do the things they were taught to do from the beginning. And what Jesus is doing in this moment when he sends out the 12, he is giving them a set of keys. He's telling them, I have now given you authority because I trust you. I am now delegating my power. I'm now delegating my spirit to you to continue to do what I've been doing in the first place. And so Jesus, he tells them, I trust you. I've given you authority. And we got to ask the question in the text, what does Jesus give them authority over? Now, now I think from the text we can see pretty clear it says that he gave them authority over unclean spirits, demons, evil. Now, now, for many of us, this sounds really odd and really weird and say, man, that was a Jesus thing. But, but when I read the Gospels, uh, I see uh, this unseen world all over the pages. There are angels. There are demons. Things that we cannot see are happening all around us, just because we cannot see them does not mean that they are not there. But the Western world, our culture has honestly downplayed this reality of this warfare that's going on all around us. Now, there's a, once a month, I gather with a small group of guys. We have a few beverages, and we talk about um, theology, some deeper theology. And we say the only rule when we meet here is there are no Bible school answers. Like you got to be able to back up what you share, um, and you can't just say Jesus for every answer. And, um, and so we sit around, and we enjoy company, but we get down. This week, our topic was spiritual warfare. And it was healthy, and we had this dialogue, and I said, hey, I'm actually sharing about Jesus sending the 12. And one of the things he said that he gives them authority over, over demons, over unclean spirits. And they said, man, what are you going to tell them? And I said, well, you guys tell me. Like, you are part of our congregation. What do you think the church needs to hear about this? And they said, number one, across the board, they said, the church needs to first wake up to the reality there is an unseen world. We, we can't just be naive, <laughs> We can't just put our head in the sand like an ostrich and just hope everything is great. There is a reality of heaven and hell. There's an unseen world that is battling all around us right this moment. Angels, angelic beings, demons, evil spirits all around us. And they said, just number one, Derek, make sure you make the church aware as our pastor that you do believe in this. Because when I read this text, there was never one uh, black hole that sucked up everything that Jesus cast out of people. Never once did it say that there were no demons anymore. Never once did it say that angels would stop appearing. Never once. And so my hope today is to, number one, make you aware that, that there's a possibility 
that when we go, we will encounter some, some enemies that you may not be able to see. Uh, when I really became aware of this, I, I was with a buddy of mine. He was dealing with some uh, really, really deep-seated uh, addiction. And a guy that worked for me when I used to work at a chemical plant, he worked for me, and, and uh, he was part of a deliverance team, which sounds like a, a really bad movie. Um, but he was part of a church uh, that was not my church that had a deliverance team, and every Friday they had a deliverance night. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's probably wild. I never, never grew up around that for sure. And, uh, and so my buddy, though, was dealing with this addiction. And so he's like, man, I, I think we should go and we should have them pray over me because, you know, I don't know what's going on. Nothing seems to be working. And so we got in this car, we drove 30 minutes. We went down Friday night, worshiped, great worship set. And then we broke out and their teams met with all the people that said, hey, I want you to pray for me. And they began to pray with him. And I was there as this novice kind of just guy that loves Jesus and, you know, good, just, just keep it at that. And, um, and I'm praying here, and they're praying. They're getting after it, man. They're, they're just praying and praying and praying. And he's sitting there, and then all of a sudden, he buckles over. And this groan comes out of him that was not of a man. Uh, it scared me, quite literally. I, I, I almost, you know, had an accident. And I jumped back, and I, like, I thought it was, like, going to be something really bad. And I'm kind of still praying, but I'm like, Lord, don't let that land on me. And, um, and um, and what uh, we experienced and what I saw firsthand is, is that a demon came out of this man who was just my friend. And he had so much more peace after that session, so much more clarity after this session, that it made me realize that when Jesus is speaking about these things, this is just not hypothetical fluff. Like, this is real. And now I don't sell, tell you this and I'm not encouraging you to go out and start a deliverance ministry at your corporation. Or, but I want to raise awareness that, that I think sometimes we don't ever give credence to the fact that the devil is prowling around and his dominion is prowling around looking for those that can kill, steal, and destroy. And, and as my buddy said, you know, I'm not one to think that there's a demon behind every bush. I think there's two sometimes. Um, no, just joking. Just totally joking. Totally joking. Because the reality is it's not always a demon. But, but what if it is? Now, here, here's also the reality. We're, we're not all going to come around and give exorcisms and say, be gone and send them to a bunch of pigs and send them out. Right? We're not all going to do that. But we all have been called to, by Jesus as his disciples, to have power and authority over demons. And, and not only did Jesus say, I give you authority, his expectation is that you would practice it. Lord, help us. And what Piper says, John Piper, who also believes in casting out demons, by the way, uh, this is what John Piper says, which I think gives us some clarity on what that looks like day to day in my office building, day to day in my community without being a weirdo. Um, this is what he says. He says, I don't think in order to be seriously engaged in spiritual warfare, you have to do exorcisms week in and week out. But listen, this is what he says you should do. You have to be a faithful, loving, humble, and repenting teacher, a lover of people. Satan is a liar and therefore he will not abide truth. He is a murderer and therefore he will not abide love. So if you are a truth giver and a deep self-sacrificing lover, you will win. And the church said, amen. So, so he says, what's it look like? You have authority over evil spirits. That may mean you cast them out in the name of Jesus, but it may mean you speak truth, you speak encouragement, you speak life into somebody who has none of that. 
And when that light shines in, when that hope shines in, we know the powers of darkness can be broken in the name of Jesus. And so this is what we're called to do, church. This is, this is what you have been given authority to do, what I've been given authority to do, to be part of the, the restoration of this world, to be part of the redemptive story that God is telling throughout all, the one that Jesus said, I came to restore, to redeem, and now I'm, I'm calling you to do the same. And not only did he give them authority over evil spirits, but he also gave them authority to proclaim the kingdom of God. That's in your notes to proclaim the kingdom of God. Now just imagine the trust that Jesus had when he came to this world and we began his public ministry at 30 years old. What was the first thing that he proclaimed? He said, repent for what? The kingdom of God is at hand. So so Jesus says, went around and preached the kingdom. And so now in this act of trust in disciple making, he says, now, now I'm giving you the keys I'm giving you authority. You go proclaim. You go show. You go demonstrate. You go teach. And so he gives them authority to do so. And as I was preparing this week, I really had this picture of, of a, a relay. Anybody ever been part of like a four-by-one track relay? Um, yeah, so I had this picture of a four-by-one track relay. And if you're not familiar with it, I brought a picture to at least get a laugh out of you. This is a throwback picture. Back, uh, back in the day, yeah, we were purple. We, uh, watch out, watch out, Logan Chieftains. We were the Chieftains, the purple people eaters. Uh, watch out. But, but you can see there's this baton. It's actually this baton is, is in that picture. And what's happened is my buddy Austin Rohr, who was smoking fast, he was coming around. And now in a relay, you have these zones. And so as I was preparing to run, I was watching and seeing him come closer and closer. And then when he got in the exchange lane, what I was doing before this picture is I was turning to run. And as I was turning to run, I was putting back my hand without looking, full trust, and I was running full speed, recognizing that our speeds would mesh, and he would hand me the baton, and then I would go forward, and he would trust me to finish the race that he started. You, you see, this, this is, in essence, what Jesus did when he came to this earth before he left. He, he said, I've come on a mission to restore, to redeem, to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God, to bring others into the kingdom of God. And he says to the disciples, hey, uh, now I'm passing the baton of my ministry to you. I I trust you. I've given you everything that I have, which is the Holy Spirit. That's all you need. And I've given them to you to empower you to go to the world. And so the question I wanna ask today is, we've been given authority, is what is the leg of your relay look like today? Do do you recognize that you've been given the ministry of Jesus? You've been given authority and power and he trusts you to carry on the ministry that he began. Do you even recognize that? If not, maybe today the first step is to say, wow, that's that's something. I didn't realize that. But but, but what are you doing? How are you stewarding the call on your life to, to continue the ministry of Jesus? I think we should wrestle with that as the church because that's one of our high callings is to continue that ministry. Number two, what we see as Jesus sends out the 12 is, is that he fosters dependence upon God. He fosters dependence upon God. Look at verse eight and nine. Jesus charged them to take nothing for their journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money, in their belts, but to wear sandals and, put on two, and not to put on two tunics. 
Now, now it's very, very interesting that Jesus tells them, hey, just take the bare minimum here. And, and what is Jesus teaching them? The first time he's sending them out, he's setting a, a precedence. He's trying to set the foundation to all disciples in the future would follow. And the precedence was, you've got to depend upon God when you go out. You can't rely on yourself. You can't rely on previous th- things you've done. You can't have an equation to go into the world. You've got to rely upon God. And so he says, don't take all these things that you normally would take. I want you to learn to depend upon God. Now, the reality is later on when he sends them out again, he doesn't tell them not to take anything. He actually tells them to take some money and to take this and take that. But this initial sending out of the 12, I do believe he's setting a foundation of what it looks like to be a disciple, to be dependent upon God. And this dependence, the reason why it's important is it requires faith. And what is faith? We could go down a lot of different things, but you know, my engineering background, I I like some types of equations sometimes. And so this is kind of what I came up with for this week. This is what faith is. It's uncertainty plus obedience. Faith is uncertainty plus, Plus obedience. Now, this is, this is not uncertainty in God. This is uncertainty in your situation. Uncertainty in what is going on around you. And then in the midst of that, I still obey God. And what I'm doing is I'm actually expressing certainty in God, which is faith. Is anybody else tracking with me? Can somebody say, yes, yes, I got it? So, so this is what faith is. And now we see this throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. Um, when Noah built the, the ark, there was no rain forecast. It wasn't a floodplain. It wasn't like every five years it flooded. No, God said, build an ark, Noah. Yet there was uncertainty. And what did Noah do? In the midst of uncertainty, he obeyed. And what was that counted to him? As righteousness, as faith. When, I, when uh, Abraham had a son, Isaac, his only son, the one that God promised to him, and, they, and he was told to go up and sacrifice his son, which sounds terrible, but, but what was that representing? It was representing uncertainty. God, what are you gonna do? But in the midst of that uncertainty, what did he do? He obeyed. And Hebrews 11 said it was counted to him as faith. See, in the midst of uncertainty, when we obey God, when we align our lives with God, that is an expression of faith. And this is what Jesus is trying to sow into their lives as disciples. You need to be men and women of faith. Because we know faith is what pleases God, nothing else. It's faith that pleases God. And so he sets the tone very early that if you're going to follow me, if you're going to go into the world, you've got to depend upon the Father. And that's why he's given us this Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit has been given to us so that he can speak, so that God can lead, so that he can convict and encourage. We've been given this gift so that we can walk by the Spirit, right? That's what disciples are. You, you really, it says, those that are led by the Spirit are sons of God. It's, if you're not led by the Spirit, if you look at the scriptures, you're like, man, am, am I really in the kingdom or not? You gotta ask these questions. But Jesus is setting the tone. What it looks like to be a disciple is you have dependence upon God. And then the last one here today, Jesus prepares them, prepares them for reception and rejection. Reception and rejection. Verse two or verse 10, Jesus says, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So what Jesus is telling them, you are gonna go out because I'm sending you out. And there are gonna be times that people receive you and receive the word and they're gonna come into the kingdom. But there's other times 
when they're gonna hear what you have to say, they're gonna see what you're doing, and they're gonna reject you completely. Honestly, as a leader, if you're a leader of people in an organization, this is a great piece of wisdom for you as you lead people. See, we, we prepare people to walk in reception and rejection. This is how beautiful of a leader Jesus is. He teaches this. And this is the great thing for us and for the disciples because it took all the onus off of them. They were called to be faithful and not fearful. See, as, as people that follow Jesus, this is what makes our lives so small oftentimes is we're fearful of people's response. We're fearful of what it's gonna cost me if I step out and I share my faith. It, they're fearful of what somebody's gonna think of me is if they see me um, extend love, mercy, and grace. If I don't go down the road of the world, we're fearful of what they're gonna think of us. And so we end up living really small lives that have very little kingdom influence. So what I wanna put before you today is what Jesus did is he says, hey, there's no pressure in the kingdom. There's no pressure to perform. What I'm calling you to is to obey, to be faithful, not to save. Big, big breath of fresh air for some of us in this room. Because we've been raised, you gotta go out and you gotta share your faith with 100 people and 80 of those people have to come to Christ and if they don't, you gotta go out and share your faith with another 100 people and by golly, get the four spiritual laws right or you're gonna pay for it, right? I mean, that's sometimes how we're raised. But what Jesus tells them is, I'm called you to be faithful. You go and proclaim the kingdom, you demonstrate the kingdom, some are gonna receive and some are and that should be freedom for us that we don't own what God alone can do. So that could encourage us today, speak some life into us today that, that I can let my ego deflate a little bit. I, I can get outside of myself and, and I can just be faithful and trust God to do his thing. Uh, a little while ago, I was on an airplane and uh, it was a short flight and this, this uh, young Asian girl sat down beside me and we talked a little bit and... Um, and she asked kind of what I did, and I told her I was a pastor. And she said, oh, that's, that's interesting, and, which is sometimes, you just don't know where that's going to lead sometimes. And uh, so the, the lady interrupted us, you know, of course, with all the safety stuff you got to listen to. And, um, and then we started talking again, and she said, uh, I've, I've actually had a few spiritual conversations with a few friends of mine. I've got a Catholic friend, and she said, I believe a Christian friend. I'm not really sure. But then she told me, I'm from China, and I'm here on a visa, and none of my family are religious at all. And I really don't know anything about this Jesus guy. And she said, would you mind telling me what it means to be a Christian? And I said, let me pray about that. <laughs> no, that would be terrible if I did that. I said, I said yes, ma'am. Let me, let, me, let me just share a little bit of what, what he's taught me and what he showed me, what he's done in my life. And so I, I pulled out my, my journal and I began to write down some things and what the kingdom is about and, and what it looks like to step in the kingdom and all the way back in Adam and Eve. And, and the whole time, I'm scared to death that I'm gonna drop the ball, just being honest, as your pastor. I'm scared to death. Like, this is the one chance this girl from mainland China is gonna hear the gospel and take it and spread all over the world, and yet I am gonna put my foot in my mouth. That's where I was at in, in the moment. And so in that moment, I'm trying to live out part number two of being a disciple is God please give me what I need. I'm depending upon you. And so as I'm talking to her, I'm having this conversation with the Spirit saying, give me what I need. Tell, let me tell her what I need to and not overstep what I'm not supposed to share. And so I just had this conversation going. Just sharing. And so I began to just lay out on this paper kind of the, the kingdom and what it looks like and, and why we have a need for Jesus and who he was 
and why she should care. And she had lots of great questions, really, really good questions. And the freedom I had in that is that I was being faithful. I didn't have to say at the end, hey, do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord? And if she said no, then I was a failure. Because the reality is, even as your pastor, she didn't say, I want to follow Jesus. This is what she did say, though. I think I need to ask some more questions and learn some more. And she said, I said, well, do you, do you have a Bible? And she's like, I've never even had a Bible in my hand. She works in the U.S. She, she was from St. Louis, Missouri. Never had a Bible in her hand. And so I, I said, where, where are you staying on this trip? And I was staying actually in, in the same convention center. And, uh, and I said, well, I'm going to do my best to get you a Bible. And so the next day I got a Bible and just wrote some encouragement and some where to start even in the scripture. She has no idea. And, uh, and so I left at the front desk, and they gave it to her. And she, she told me in a, a text later, uh, she's like, I had no idea a Bible was so big. And, uh, and I did get her a study Bible. <laughs> that was uh, I knew I wasn't going to be there. So I was hoping, you know, the John Pipers and Beth Moores of the world can help her a little bit. But she said, thank you. Uh, I look forward to starting to read the Gospels. Now, I, I don't share that for you to think anything about me. It's really not about Derek. It's, I share that because as your pastor, I, I got to recognize that this sending part is for me and it's for you. That I've been given the same authority that he gave the disciples, that he's given me his spirit just like Jesus had when he walked this earth. That he's called me to be dependent upon him. At the end of the day, I'm called to be faithful and not fearful. I'm called to obey and not to save. And I want to encourage you to do the same because when Jesus was his resurrected body, he was with his disciples, he, he told them this in John 20, 20. He says, just as the Father sent me, now I am sending you. So today, I just want to encourage you, what's it look like for you to take this baton of the ministry of Jesus? What's it look like for you as you go into the world to steward your influence well? So if you're taking notes, just write a circle and write influence. And right now, if you're taking notes, just do that. Write influence. And this week, I want you to think practically and I want you to pray about what influence has God given you in this season of your life? Where has he placed you? Because where he has placed you is where he wants to work through you. Where he has placed you is where he is sending you. The scripture in Matthew 28 says, as you go into the world, that means you were already headed there. As you go to your workplace, as you go to your workout facility and do a little CrossFit, as many of us do, as you go into your community, as you go to your grocery store, be aware. God is at work. God is at work all around you. He says, will you be aware? And when you're made aware, will you be faithful to step out, to take a risk, to allow my kingdom to come on this world? as it is in heaven. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much that you've given us these words that you sent out your disciples with an expectation that they would be part of your mission to restore all things, to redeem all things, to allow your kingdom to come to this world. Lord, would you grow our expectation? Would you grow our vision of what it looks like to be part of a kingdom with a king who is on the throne who will never step down? Lord, would you stir our faith to operate in the authority that you've given us and the power you've given us, that we would take risks for your kingdom's sake, that we would learn to depend upon you and your
your spirit, its guidance. And at the end of the day, we would not bow to fear, fear of man, fear of rejection, but we would stand firm in the fact that you've called us and we're called to be faithful. And at the end of the day, if we're faithful, Lord, uh, you can work with that any day. So Lord, empower us as a church to be a church that not only comes together, but goes in the powerful name of Jesus. Let it be a difference maker in this city and the communities around it. In Jesus' name.